Hey, welcome to episode 10, episode 10 of We Have Such Films to Show You, the title of the podcast that I finally said without stumbling, and it only took 10 episodes. Uh, I'm Josh Millard, I'm co-host A, co-host B is sitting right here, 3,000 miles away across the mic, uh, Yakov Grinberg. Hey, hey party people. Put so, your hands into the air. I, I'm, I'm doing it as we speak. The dog is... Oh, the dog's not paying attention to me. <laughs> so today we're doing the, uh, the mythical 10th uh, Hellraiser movie that um, people claim it doesn't exist, but I, I found a copy of something. And I'm not sure what it is, but I hope we watch the same thing because now everybody around me is dead. Yeah. Yeah, I've been, I've been seeing a lot of strange things. There's hooks in my flesh. I'm not... I, I was thinking I should go to the doctor, but, uh, you know, healthcare expenses, I don't know. Maybe the hooks yeah. will unhook themselves. I don't know. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, at, some point, at some point, we'll actually commit to uh, straight up reviewing a non-existent film. But, uh, but this week, this, this, uh, this, well, we do every other week. This, this yeah. other week, this... Fortnightly. This week's this fortnight, yes. This fortnight, uh, we're talking about Cabin in the Woods because we figured, hey, we've been through all nine Hellraiser movies. Uh, there are other things we can and will do, including many uh, not very good or maybe striving towards mediocre horror films, I'm sure. But, uh, but boy, I was really, I was pretty beat down after that last, uh, that last film and that last episode. I feel like we really, we just kind of showed up and collapsed almost. Yeah, the, that that was. I mean, there's there's so little to say about that me, a movie other than it sucks. It sucks. It's still sucking. It it, it sucks. Yeah. And, why is this on? I was yeah. I, I was thinking about that. I don't want to talk briefly about that uh, before we move on to the actual feature. And, and I've tried to explain this phenomenon to a couple of people as I told them because you know I told people when we first came up with this idea that we were going to do it. They oh that's crazy. But there's something somehow more uh more real more visceral about saying uh oh hey we actually did this we have 20 hours of recorded audio over a period of four and a half months about this entire series of films and it's more like oh you did that and i was trying to explain why the last one was so hard i mean i mean the last film it was worse than the eighth film but the eighth film was still really bad you know yeah. and we said as much at the time and i think we were feeling a bit dispirited but I still felt like it was a livelier discussion and a, a more to engage with. And I think what it is is really this last film, in terms of something to discuss, suffered from the fact that it was, in fact, a relatively spiritually faithful Hellraiser script. Like, it wasn't a good script. The production was terrible. Everything was everything about it was bad. But it was written by a guy who was paying attention to and involved with the Hellraiser franchise and seemed to remember the source material that the whole thing came from. And so there wasn't even, we didn't get the joy of trying to pick apart how a spec script got transformed into this. We were just stuck with an actual, God bless it, written from scratch, terrible Hellraiser script. So we couldn't even, we couldn't even look at the angles. We just had to say, yep, and then they did this. And then they did this, and that was bad too. And yeah, there was there was no novelty to it whatsoever. There was nothing to, there was like there was nothing to hold on to that we hadn't already discussed to death. And yeah, yeah, it was really just like watching the original Hellraiser again if it was a terrible, terrible film. Yeah, this is this was a the USA Channel presents a uh, <laughs> you know new miniseries Hellraiser Revelation starring. Uh, that guy who plays Michael on Burn Notice as Pinhead, because why not? God, I, I is that hope... a USA show? I think that's a USA show. Yeah, I, I think I think I think Burn Notice is USA. Yeah, 
I only I only ever know if I see like you know the the network logo on a uh, on a Netflix thing or something somewhere. So I, it becomes very vague what what channel any given show is from for me. Uh, the way I end up seeing them, but uh, but yes. Anyway, Burn Notice that's a good show. That's better than the last couple Hellraiser movies. So uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, go 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 watch some, <laughs> go watch some. better funded too. <laughs> Someone needs your help, Michael. Uh, <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> that I've seen a lot of it. I haven't seen all of it, but I, I've seen a lot of it. I, I enjoy the show. Uh, <laughs> it's so Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods is the film we watched, and uh, I, we've probably said this uh, for most of the Hellraiser ones. But who's actually sat and watched the Hellraiser movies by accident or accidentally tripped across a podcast yeah. about them? I don't think that just happens. Whereas Cabin in the Woods is a legitimately good film that's relatively recent. So what was it last year? I guess it came out. Uh yeah, two um, thousand. It was. It's a two. It's a two thousand twelve movie. Um. So yeah, it was. Yeah. It came so out last year. It's yeah, new. It's day. good. It's totally worth watching. It's it's totally worth experiencing. Uh, unspoiled. Uh, so if you care about spoilers and think you'll see it, uh, I would say, you know, hit pause right now. Go to Netflix. It's 94 minutes long. We'll see you in like 96. And then listen. Uh, but otherwise, we're going to spoil the hell out of details because uh, this is a great movie for talking about uh, if you like horror movies. Because uh, it was written by a guy who likes horror movies and it's all about <laughs> horror movie as a, a structural thing. It's, it's, it's very clever. It's very incisive about the genre uh, and uh, and yeah, I, I, I had a great time rewatching it. I just saw it recently, yeah. actually, for the first time earlier this year, uh, and uh, I, I really liked it then. I liked watching it again. Yeah, I, I only watched this just a couple of months ago because I was talking to somebody at a party, and I was telling them about this podcast. They're like, "Oh, the Hellraiser movies. Have you seen Cabin in the Woods?" I'm like, "No, I've been really just meaning to." And he's just like, "Dude, just watch Cabin in the Woods. I'm not even going to tell you anything about it." I'm like, "All right." And then one Sunday, I finally. You know, sit down and turn it on, and uh, oh no, no! You know what? The other thing that precipitated that um, there was a on Metafilter, there was a discussion about it, and somebody just you know offhandedly mentions like you know it's that facility you know controlling all the events for the kid that you know kills all the kids in Cabin in the Woods. Somebody else is like, hey, you know, we would appreciate a spoiler alert, and a third person was just like, that's a spoiler for literally the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, you know, I remember that specific <laughs> discussion actually, because uh, someone wrote to me. I think I think I think we actually uh, got. Uh, message at the Metafilter contact form saying, hey, seriously, there's a spoiler problem here. And so I had to like find out that it was a spoiler, but a really minor spoiler by having to... I hate that when that happens. Like I... Every once in a while, someone will be like, hey, you really need to deal with this terrible spoiler situation. I'm like, oh, fuck, please let it not be for something I haven't watched yet. Because it's my job. I got to go look. I got to go take care of it. I can't just say, no, I'm sorry. You just got to deal with it because I haven't watched that yet, you know? So uh, Here, you deleted. I can't. Exactly. Well, then I don't care. <laughs> We've occasionally played a little bit of like, you know, hot potato on the mod team. Uh, if someone really specifically doesn't want to see a spoiler and they know someone else might be around who might not care so much. I was like, hey, can you go look at this? Because I don't, I don't want to know. I'm, that's, I'm going to see it this weekend. No. But, uh, but yeah, no, I remember that conversation. And yeah. And it's also, I mean, there, there's things you can spoil about this movie that we will, I'm sure. Yeah. But, uh, but at the same time, it's, it's a movie that is so much about horror tropes that you also can't really spoil it i mean all the all the all the good twists are more like the twists in uh one of the better episodes of buffy like you know it's all yeah. little character notes and and twists in the 
general direction of the plot. But, you know, there's no big surprises in terms of it's a cabin in the woods and sexy teens will get murdered. And also there will be the challenging of power structures and the juxtaposition of parallel narrative threads. Like, you know, these are all – as soon as you know Josh wrote, Whedon wrote the thing, you, you, you kind of – you know what you're in for in a sense. Yeah, it's just – it's really done – it's done very delightfully basically. Yeah, I mean the spoilers for this, they're not spoilers for the plot as much as they're like spoilers for the spectacle. And um, yeah, that that's, you know, it's like if you come into this like having known nothing about it like I did except for the fact that it's like a somewhat like meta narrative sort of horror movie, uh, like the, the, the entire third act, I was just like sort of giddy because I had... <laughs> Totally didn't did not see it coming because I just I I I don't even know why like I was just like oh well you know they're celebrating and maybe there's going to be like a little thing at the end it's like oh no wait this is like literally the beginning of the third act right now that I thought I just finished watching the third act um, yeah it was a pretty I, I like that and we'll talk we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as we get more into the structure of it but I, yeah I really liked how well that was played because it was like oh man they really are gonna that is a fucking brutal dark cynical way to end this film and turns out no they were going to come up with a a darker but actually less cynical in some sense uh way to end it like a half an hour later on so i was surprised this movie was only like an hour and a half i really thought it was like a two-hour film because i thought it was a two-hour film no it's like 94 minutes and it's just it's it's dense enough and i think that third act with the false coda uh, really works so well that it like feels like running up to that it feels like a full like you know like 80 minutes at least of horror movie stuck into about 60. Uh, and so, yeah, it ends up feeling like, so it's, I think that's part of why that was credible. There was so much happened in the first two acts, essentially that you could actually buy. And it was that, that false ending was the actual ending. Yeah. And it was so well paced too, that, you know, it's just like things just kept happening and they, they kept your attention long enough. And there was always like, just, you know, every few scenes, you just got the payoff to something that they introduced in a, in a previously, like all of the all of the Chekhov's guns in this movie went off. Yes, I, I it's somewhere in my notes I have Chekhov's motorcycle. Oh, you know what? Hang on, how did I write that down? <laughs> did I did I write the exact same thing? Because I believe I did. Actually, you know what I wrote? Uh, was Chek- Chekhov's dirt bike is my exact. I uh, I I will take a photo of this because my notes literally <laughs> say Chekhov's dirt bike. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah. So uh, um, I, I guess I guess we can briefly just dis- for for all the people who uh, haven't seen it uh, or have forgotten it since it's been a whole year, uh, the, the the brief outline of the film is that uh, a bunch of kids, uh, a bunch of college kids, get ready to go off to one of their cousins' cabin in the woods. I uh, get the title, um, and at the same time, like the opening scene of the film, I think is we're being introduced to a mysterious government facility, and these two threads come together when it becomes clear that the facility is specifically managing these kids towards this cabin in the woods and that there's something going on with the idea of the tropish horror film where in fact it's part of a bit of government bureaucracy and and the big the big reveal is that these are specifically ritual sacrifices being done in the form of essentially a horror film uh, in order to satiate and keep slumbering the old gods of you know lovecraftian horror and doom uh down beneath the uh earth where they slumber, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, the, the I mean, like all of the scenes in the facility, which is, I believe, what it's like called, and like canonically, the place is just called the facility. And um, oh, uh, I, I just rewatched it with the um, director's commentary, 
and uh, it had Joss Whedon and oh, what the hell is his name? I'm totally spacing now. Uh, Goddard, Drew Goddard, the director. Um, and uh, so yeah, the entire facility is based on the Los Alamos Nuclear History Museum tour. <laughs> That's awesome. That's uh, yeah, like the the you know the old school like control panels and the way that uh, Citizen and Hadley are dressed. They're, they're the two you know technicians. Yeah, it was all just like Los Alamos, uh, you know, D- Defense Department, circa nineteen Cold War. Uh, yeah, so uh, I totally forgot where I was going with this. There was a relevant point to be made for something you were saying, but eh, why not? Well, I, was, I was just outlining the plot, so something. Oh, like the that. plot, yes. Um, so, oh, what I was going to say is about the uh, the old gods. So the way, like the just the really just the completely overarching um, story arc works in that first they introduce you to the facility. Um, it's just like a completely like there's you know there's the uh, there's the opening scene which is just uh, blood leaking onto just paintings and like etchings and sketches of human sacrifice through the ages. And then it immediately cuts to a coffee machine that says something like, you know, have a nice day, get some coffee. And uh, Citizen, who's played by... Um, uh, Bradley um, Whitford. If... No, that's Hadley. Oh, I'm sorry, Hadley. Okay. Richard yeah, Jenkins. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's a classic um, that guy. Uh, Angela yeah. noted, uh, my, my, my wife was like, he looks like a half-life scientist. And we were <laughs> like, yes, yes, he does. He was also the, uh, the patriarch on uh, Six Feet Under. Yes, he was the the, uh, the dead dad. Uh, yeah, Nathaniel Senior, and uh, the other guy yeah. Hadley is played by Bradley Whitford, who was oh, what the hell's his name? Zach on The West Wing? Uh, no, no, Josh. Josh. His name Josh. is Josh. I, it's something yes. I can't help but be sensitive. Anytime someone's named Josh in a show, and of course in this case, Josh had to be sort of like you know uh, a, a, a Mary Sue obnoxious asshole charmer dude. Uh, saying Aaron Sorkin's personal specific pet peeves yeah. whenever he needs one of those episodes. Uh, I, I, I like Bradley Whitford. I think he does a great job. I think he works well with Aaron Sorkin for that specific type of writing. But at the same time, it's like, it, you know, I was watching a bunch of West Wing all in a row. Like, like we watched a few seasons in the last year and, uh, it gets and, tiring. Uh, it gets tiring. And he gets tiring specifically because it's just like one Sorkin-esque editorial note after another you know, and every once in a while there's an episode that's really about him, and those are kind of the worst. Not because not because Bradley Whitford doesn't do a great job with him as far as it goes, but it's just like nobody likes Josh Lyman quite as much as Josh Lyman does. Like yeah. and that goes for that. It's not it's not like he's the guy that no one in the show likes. It's that the people in the show don't dislike him quite enough, and the audience <laughs> I think just kind of is like, really, you fucking shit. Uh, but this all led to him being great in this because it's like, holy shit, it's Josh Lyman. But now he's uh, like, uh, like middle management in some secret government facility instead of like you know somebody who works at the White House and has fangirls on websites. And uh, yeah, and you you know the best part is is that that guy from Six Feet Under and that annoying guy from The West Wing is the extent of the star power of this movie. <laughs> well, or you at guys- least when it came out. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think I think well, Thor is in this. Thor is one of yep. the kids in the woods. But I think this was produced before Thor dropped. It was during the director's commentary. They actually mention it. There's a specific scene 
Um, it, it's the scene where after uh, what's her name, Jules uh, is decapitated, and then uh, Kurt, it, you know, comes back to the house, and you know, he, you know, he looks at them, and he's just like, she's she's dead. And uh, Whedon and Goddard, they were just like, we looked at this daily, and we're like, oh shit, this guy's a movie star. It was, it was <laughs> nice knowing him, and then they sent these dailies out to some people, and like the next day, like within the next two days, he got Red Dawn and Thor. <laughs> so if you believe them, this movie is directly responsible for Chris Hemsworth's entire career, basically. And the rest of the cast is like, uh, there's a bunch of uh, a Power Ranger. alums. Uh, who's a Power Ranger? Jules. She was in Power Rangers really? Jungle Force or something. <laughs> this is, no, none of these people have credits like awesome. outside of Joss Whedon's movies. Well, yeah, because yeah, we've got a, we've got a couple people from from well, yeah, a couple people from from Dollhouse. Uh, Marty was the. Uh, uh, lead uh, sort of tech guy on Dollhouse, and uh, the 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 female uh, sort of lead in the facility, hanging out with uh, Bradley and and uh, Jenkins, was uh, the doctor on Dollhouse. She was um, also um, Fred on Angel. Right, right. And I uh, and, know and, that and, secondhand. I have never seen Angel. I've seen most of Buffy, but I've never seen Angel. But I remember I was just watching it. Nick is just like, "Hey, that's Fred." Yeah, and there's a there's a there's a couple quick cameos by one of the three sorcerer kids from yes. from Buffy's. And they 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 had a story about that as well. So. This was, this was shot in. Ca- I'm, I'm just gonna be relating the director's commentary. Why not? This is this is just like me like relating commentary on the movie instead of making my own. But um, basically, because they were working in Canada, anyone who wasn't like you know a headliner had to be a Canadian actor. It was a guild thing, and the only way to get like a small part cast with somebody you want is that you have to prove to the Canadian government that a Canadian cannot possibly fill this role. So either Goddard or Whedon, I don't remember which one, had to write letters to the Canadian government to get this guy on screen for three lines because they <laughs> could not think of anybody else to do it. That's it's like the amount of esteem they have for him is like really just just really sweet kind of, honestly. That is awesome. Yeah, there's um, yeah. there's that. What and, else is uh, there in the cast on this? Really, yeah, because yeah, Kristen like, Connolly's brand new, and I mean, I really appreciate like like teen slasher movies do not benefit from star power. Like, um, uh, a spoiler for Scream. Um, what's her name? Drew Barrymore gets off in like literally the first scene of that movie, and she's yeah. she you know she's on all the stuff, and it's you know it was kind of like a Psycho sort of thing where you know they killed off Janet Leigh. Like, oh, whoops, I'm sorry. Spoilers for Psycho. Uh, <laughs> killed off Janet Leigh. Halfway Wait, I, 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 didn't, I never knew Janet Leigh had worked with Gus Van Sant. Are you? Sh- <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Please continue. I feel um, I got it out of my system. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of like the fact that there was not uh, that you know there, there was no like you know big person in this that you know the movie sort of revolved around that. Yeah. that was that was good. Um. So let's thing, things 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 that worked. I mean, I I, I actually I, I'm kind of excited having watched a couple of times to talk about a couple things that I feel like didn't work as well as as maybe they could have because I, I really like this film. So it's it's all, it's almost kind of nice to have some things specifically to complain about. But uh, but I thought a lot of stuff worked, and the, it feels like the overarching thesis of this film, the whole the whole thing is that you know it's it, it's i i shouldn't even say thesis sort of like the, the the predominant aesthetic of the film is the sort of mockery and recognition of tropes and problems in american slasher horror films you know with 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 nods to other 
uh, international genres, but only briefly. Yeah. But but really, this is this is a movie about. 80s slasher films you know the, the title is a dead giveaway as far as that goes and everything in it it, it yeah. it's, it's in love it's, with horror movies but yeah, it knows it, how terrible they are it, yeah it's simultaneously like critical of the genre as a whole and like a complete love letter to it you know yeah. this, this movie was made with with, with love and, and and care and whatever else you need to do to you know really make a movie good it, that they they had this for this movie like it's clear that the cast was you know enjoying themselves and and um, you know the production is really just top. I mean that yeah that that's my, my, might be why it's a good idea to start off with you know things that weren't so great because I mean it's it's really easy to sort of write a hagiography hey, of this movie uh, just because yeah. it's it's a fantastic movie. So what what were some things that you did not particularly? Uh, well, I'll tell you a thing uh, that I the, the thing that I liked the least in the movie the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. And 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 I was a little bit less put out by it the second time, partly because I remembered thinking that I really hated it, and I didn't quite remember how it worked. Was the very the, the last two seconds of the film? So uh, the big uh, the, the big finish, of course, is that they are basically faced with a choice of trying to stop the end of the world and the rise of the old ones, or letting it happen. And they let it happen. And, and the way to stop it is for um, you know is for Dana to kill Marty. Yeah, the, the last girl has to kill the other remaining surviving you know kid uh and 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 she she wavers and then she does not and then they sort of sit down together and you know let the world end before they get a chance to bleed to death uh which is it's a nice 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 uh dark end to a film and 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 then it ends with a great rumbling in the facility because they're sitting basically right on top of the slumbering gods and and we see god uh, a god burst up out of the cabin which because because the cabin's sitting right on top of you know this facility and uh and it's a big hand, and it's a big hand. I mean, it's a yeah. big, glowy hand, like a, a hand made out of like you know stone and, and lava and energy. And you know, it must be a hand that itself is like you know thirty feet across from pinky to, to thumb tip. But it's still, it's just a hand. It looks like an yeah. extremely anthropomorphic hand. And I'm I'm thinking old gods. I'm thinking elder gods. I'm thinking yeah. Lovecraft. I'm thinking like give me the unknowable, the thing that you just draw us a weird, hard to focus on picture of because that's the closest we can get to comprehending. And instead, it's like. Oh, so it's a big, it's a big guy, you know. It's like that's not that's not the world-ending old god, you know, from the days of magic, forgotten in terror that you know I was hoping for, and so it really kind of bugged me because it's like I wanted, I don't know, I wanted tentacles, I wanted something I couldn't quite tell what it was. Uh, so I actually that really bothered me, and I, I. I, I that could have, I mean, I feel like that could have easily been just like a fan service after credits thing instead of like a part of the actual movie. Yeah, um, it, that that's what it felt like, and that, that's yeah. And I mean, the thing is that it was it was literally the last payoff because um, in the scene before it, uh, Marty mentions it's just like you know they're going to destroy the world and we're not even going to know what they look like, and then yeah. So we, you know, as the viewer, was, get one last little bit of uh, yeah benefit from the suffering of the protagonist of the horror film we're watching, which is a big, big yeah, recurring the, the, thing. Yeah, the movie like just repeatedly just like lets the audience in on like how privileged their vantage point to everything is. I, I it, in that you know first you you've got the cameras on everything. Whenever you see a shot from the cameras in the facility, the scene is uh, 
either like completely like lit fine or shot through uh it's not ir cameras it's just you know like night vision cameras so you could make everything out in a way that you can't when you're watching the actual movie or you can't when you're a character in the actual scene yeah so um yeah and that that that, that sort of like you know topped it where you could you know you you can safely watch the apocalypse on like literally everybody else on the planet and now that I've complained about that that ending scene, I'm going to try and defend it a little bit. Partly because uh, uh, it, my my wife had a, a point that was actually really interesting on that front. Uh, that the idea is, you know, all, all, all of all all of the different things that the kids can cause to be the thing that comes after them. Mm-hmm. You know, in the sort of totem basement scene early on in the film, uh, all are different forms that are all presumably aspects. Of these old ones, you know, it's like like the Buckners, the Merman, uh, the 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 Cenobite, and we'll talk about that. Uh, all, all of these different things are, are are all different sort of expressions of whatever this old magic, this old godhood slumbering beneath the earth is. So maybe the fact that it was the Buckners who themselves, the the, the terrifying uh, zombie redneck family were the form that we were most recently engaging with via this monster. Maybe thus we get the hand that is like the hand of a zombie coming up from the earth. So it's not so much that the hand we see is definitive of the form of the old ones as just the aspect that's currently sort of active. Also, it makes a really nice mirroring of a hand bursting up from the the ground in classic zombies. So, so maybe it's also another callback to ghostbusters. Of the like, there's a there's a couple of callbacks to Ghostbusters in this, and that this would be you know one of them to choose the form of your destructor. Yes, yes, true, true. I hadn't even thought of that. This is totally a Stay Puft thing. Yeah. Uh, so I, that was, you know that was I, one thing that bugged me. Yeah, the um, you know, you know what actually bugged me? Um, Holden was completely underused or unused, and like his. His sort of like character transformation thing was also just probably one of the least uh, least obvious. You know, they they didn't. Um, you know, the whole thing is that w- after getting into the cabin and the facility, manipulating them, they they all of their personalities change like drastically. You know, Kurt becomes you know an asshole. Uh, what, Jules gets what, all sex pots. Yeah, Dana becomes uh, prudish, kind of rather than just being. Um, you know, she she's not introduced as as prudish, just like a little shy, but she definitely like you, you know, know the, at one yeah, point they, she they, says, "I've I've never done this before," and then she's like, "Wait, that's not right," or wait, well, something like, "Wait, never. yes, I have." Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is a really nice little note because, like, like, like you look at it, and it, as it's written in that scene, it almost kind of doesn't. You're like, well, "That's a weird, clumsy thing," but then you realize, "Oh, right," because this is what she's being sort of she's being zapped into playing this virginal you know, non-corrupted role. And even she's like, you know, blinking at like, Oh wait, why the fuck would I say that? You know? Cause they've established like right in the early film, we established that she'd had this relationship with this professor and that had ended badly, but that she was being mature about it. And it, it very much sort of like, you know, instead of like, Oh my God, like, you know, boys, it's more like, eh, yeah, well this sexual relationship didn't really work out, but let's not make a big fucking deal out of it. Uh, so yeah, then later on when they've got, they're doing that, it's a nice little sort of, uh, a certain amount of subtle, uh, uh, like the the movie is not at all subtle much of the time about their transformations because they're like really shining a light on it. Like they pointedly turn on a bit of gas at one point to change the kids' minds when they're being way too rational for a horror yeah. film. But then, yeah, little notes like that were played much more just to like reward you for sort of catching what happened. 
Yeah, and and they just did not do enough with it for Holden. He's supposed to, you know, he's he's supposed to be the scholar, but outside of like him wearing glasses and reading Latin, you know, we we didn't get a sense of who we didn't get a particularly good sense of who he was outside of not creepy. Yeah, and that that aspect of his personality doesn't change, and for the rest of it, you know, it's it, it you know that you don't really see anything you know changing in him, and yeah. You know, well, and it's problematic because, like, par- partly that's the role that Marty's playing. Marty is actually, you know, defying his role as the fool. You know, he's quietly, accidentally defying it by being so stoned that he doesn't get brainwashed. Uh, and so he ends up being essentially the scholar character in the film anyway. So it's, yeah, it, it's tricky. I, I, I felt like Holden was a little bit like they just didn't do a lot with him. I, I, I agree with you on that front. Like, his... his I, I felt like one of his unstated roles was to be the black guy who gets killed early, and then he didn't get killed early, which was nice. But then yeah. they killed him anyway, and they totally – it was a total – it was a wash, if you were, will, um, that they uh, just uh, – that, that was a a little bit of a firefly yeah. joke, a little bit of a <laughs> – the way Wash got killed by being stabbed abruptly while piloting a vehicle. Uh, and then that happened in, in, in this movie too. Yes. That's what it's oh, and there's Reavers in this movie. I haven't actually oh, seen yeah, all of yeah, Firefly, I but oh, yeah? I, yeah, I mean, I, I've just oh, been like, well, that's sort a of, big moment in the film. Oh then. no, Sorry no, yeah, that. no. There's, I, I don't think there's a way to be on the internet and avoid that spoiler. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've known that for for a long time. I just haven't gotten around to watching the whole thing. But I, I was on the wiki for a while, and yeah, there's Reavers in this movie. Yeah, um, I saw that. Yeah. Oh, sh- I was going to say I, there was there was the ri- there was the big red button in the facility, and on the one hand, it was hilarious. And the I big purge button, yeah, the big purge yeah. button. They, they they get cornered. There's guys with guns trying to track them down during the third act when they've broken into the facility, uh, and then they're taking shelter in this little control room. And there's a big red button. That's the big red button that causes all hell to break loose. And on the one hand, it's a perfect send up of the sort of arbitrary Deus. Ex, ex machina of, of horror films where something will come along that will just fix the otherwise unfixable problem. And, and okay, so as a joke about that, that's great. But this film has so consistently otherwise sort of fucked with the idea of these tropes that seeing them just sort of like have this moment where like, oh, heck, you know, they, it's like the only thing that would have made it worse for me is if uh, Marty and Dana had looked at each other and given a big cockeyed, oh, grin, you know, so it's like, you know, there's a big red button, press it, and then, you know, let's swivel the plot, you know, on its head. It just felt, it felt like a little having your cake and eating it, too, is all. Like, I, I think that one was just straight up, you know, just sort of like id wish fulfillment thing, like kind of just in the sort of same way that the end is where you just, you, where you just, you know, at some point you, you wonder, it's like, what if you, you know, you if you had just like, if you had it in you to just say, fuck it, the world ends, you know, with me. And I think it was the, you know, that, that same sort of thing was just like, let's just let all the animals in the zoo loose because we can do that right now and it'll help us. And um, I think, yeah, I thought it was pretty funny that, uh, you know, they, they, it was explicitly referred to as an army of nightmares or an, was, is it an army of nightmares or an army of monsters? But whatever remember, it was, yeah. that was, yeah, it was just like so explicitly like referred to that. Um, but yeah, like I, I did not see that coming. Like the, you know, the monster purge, I totally did not see that coming. And that, that's, that's, I I think I laughed out loud the first time I saw that just because I, I enjoyed it so much, like from a visceral sense. 
the, the, the moment is good for a laugh and the results are fantastic for the way the film is. So it's like, it's, it's one of those weird little complaints, but it's still, it's like, it's one of those things that on the, the other hand, I, I almost feel compelled like I need to excuse it because I like everything around it so much, but it really, yeah. it struck me as a weird little note. So those are, those are my primary criticisms, I would say. I, I, I think there were a couple other little things that I might have notes about, but, uh, but mostly it's like, that's kind of, that's what I have to, that's what I have to scrap for to find something to complain about, which uh, makes this podcast way too short because <laughs> we should have I, another two hours yeah. to go as far as that goes. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we could talk about good stuff. I don't know. Uh, I don't, does anybody want to hear about good things? No, um, the, I, I think one last thing, and then like, I'm, I'm really just grasping at straws to find like something I didn't like about this movie is um, I think the scenes with the Buckners were shot too dark. I, I, they I, were I, awfully dark. Maybe it's my I, yeah. Is, were they dark or is it you know my did I set up my TV wrong or because it, it was just hard to make out the sort of details you'd want to make out. You know I don't, I don't need it spotlit, but I, I feel like I missed a lot of like the the, the horror from the Buckners because I just couldn't see them. You know it's it's it was it was hard for me to you know differentiate them uh, from uh, you know as zombie redneck murder family rather than just regular redneck murder family. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say I, uh, it may be a little bit your setup. It was, it was generally very dark. Um, like, like they were very darkly shot scenes. Yeah. I, 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 I got that it was zombie. To some extent, maybe it's like the fact that you've literally seen a thousand zombies at this point. So it's, they didn't need to like, you know, give you a whole lot of light to be it. Now take a look at our zombie makeup, eh? you know, but uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it was, it was dark. It was definitely pushing. It's like in an ideal viewing environment, I think it's fine. But uh, like anything other than that, I could see it being a problem because they were such, such night scenes. Yeah. Um, did you, how many did, did you, I, I caught, Two um, shots that I think were direct illusions without in any way being indicated that. Um, the first one, like the entire Harbinger scene, is stri- is almost straight out of uh, Compton? No, that can't be right. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> you know, I've never seen it. Neither There's, the original uh, nor the remake. I've never seen it. I think I saw both on the same night, but I only remember the original. Um, and there's a scene very much like that where there's like, you know, abandoned gas station, creepy guy. And, and at one point in, in this movie, Holden uh, just like looks at some leather that looks to be tanning in the window. Just I, I'm pretty sure it's a direct <laughs> uh, reference to Leatherface. Um, another one was when they're all going swimming, there's this like idyllic shot of the lake. And I swear that's in a Friday 13th movie. One I of think the so. Ar- yeah. There, there was, there was a great, actually there's a, a wonderful moment. There was like an Ill, idyllic shot of the lake. Once they've all jumped in and all that, uh, then, then, uh, they're in the lake and then we get a big pullback shot. Like, like it jumps to yeah. a long shot of the lake and it's, it, it's them frolicking down in the corner by the pier and you see the whole lake and, and the wilderness yeah, and the sky. It's totally like a stalking shot. Yeah, it's a stalking shot. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a creepy POV, POV shot and they bring in a heartbeat sound. So it's like a classic sort of and then they pull out to the facility where it's like the vital signs on each of their character portraits on the, uh, so it's beautiful because it's like heartbeat because, oh, it, oh, it's a, it's their heart rate monitor. Okay. You know what's uh, uh, you know what else was funny about that scene? Um, 
Did you notice that uh, Marty was like didn't go in the water, didn't take off his shirt? You know why? I I read about this. Yes, it, it, it's not. Be- I mean, it, it worked for the character, but it worked for the character specifically. They didn't have him take off his shirt and jump in because apparently that guy is ripped. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> he looks like a fucking like you know like murderer bantamweight with his shirt off. Like you know, he's not he's not a big guy, but he's like nothing but muscle underneath. And people were like, oh wait, but who's so which one's the 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 stoner and because this guy's obviously the Michael Phelps character, yeah, yeah. that was pretty funny. I, I, yeah, I, I would never would have guessed, but uh, go figure. Uh, yeah, oh, and there was um, I think the last thing is oh, I, I don't, when they're in the uh, what is it the black room the dark room yeah the, uh, the, 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 room, black, uh, the black room I believe yeah there's there's a bunch of uh, hanging chains like hanging black chains. Um, like in the Hellraiser movies. Yeah, there were. Let, let's let's talk a little bit about Hellraiser notes because there's some obvious. There, there there's one yeah. very very obvious Hellraiser thing in this. When when they're encountering, uh, there there's the scene the 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 totem scene which we'll talk a little bit more about. Uh, but just briefly, they find a spherical puzzle box in there, and then much later in the film, in the third act, when Dana and Marty are the only two who've survived and they've gotten down into the facility. Uh, they encounter this whole monster zoo, uh, all these monsters in cages. And one of them, Dana shares a long moment sort of standing on the other side of some glass from an obvious pinhead uh, analog. Uh, instead of pins, he's yeah. got saw blades stuck in his head, which is kind of a, a great sort of like, oh, yeah, pins, we can do you better. So there's a big, tall guy with saw blades stuck out of his sort of, you know, graying flesh. And he's standing around in a weird sort of bondagey leather outfit, mm-hmm. and and he's holding this spherical uh, puzzle box, yeah. and, and so she has. This is her moment of realization that uh, that's they had literally chosen their doom. But in the meantime, she shares this sort of long look with. And I liked. I, I said something on Twitter about this uh, yesterday that the fake pinhead, the parody pinhead, in this film, was a better pinhead than the actual <laughs> pinhead. In Hellraiser Revelations. He was better than, than the pinhead in the last actual Hellraiser movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, that's, and he didn't even have any lines, and I think that's part of why. Is like he just had that sort of gravita, that, 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 that quiet, attentive, observational intelligence that Drug Bradley always made work really well for Pinhead when he wasn't being forced into spoiling it with bad lines or whatever. Uh, and I loved that. I was like, yes, this is not just like, oh, hey, people people remember Hellraiser. It was like, people remember Hellraiser, and we ever watched it, you know? Yeah. And you know he's got a canonical name that's never mentioned in the movie. Oh, God, he does. It's fantastic. You, 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 it's, you, do it. It's, it's it. Fornicus, Lord of Bondage and Pain. It's, and, I mean, that's, that's, that is as on the nose as this movie gets with, uh, you know, with just allusions to other horror movies. Like, the rest of them are a bit more subdued, but this one is just straight up, like, you know exactly what this is. Yep. And what was the original working title of Hellraiser? It was, like, Sadomasochistic Beings Sa- uh, from Hell? Sadomasochists from Beyond, from Beyond the, Grave. the Grave. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's really, it's getting right up there with the 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 material. So, and the spherical... Sadomasochists from Beyond the Moon, like, that's not right. <laughs> that's, that, that's number four. That one takes place in space. Um <laughs> The, the puzzle box is spherical, just like it briefly was in Hellraiser 6. Uh, as, as I think we discussed in that one at the time, uh, there's a brief shot where, like, uh, Duffy, uh, Duffy goes to the creepy shop in the warehouse. Oh, that's right. And, and the guy goes to give him the puzzle box or sell it to him or whatever the deal was. 
uh, pinhead in hobo drag, basically. And it's a sphere. He's got a black polished sphere, and then he rolls it across the table. And when it fishes rolling across the table, it's a it's a cube, a familiar box yeah. again, because because the producers basically said no. Uh, people know what the box is, so it's got to be a box. Uh, so I I don't know if this was an accidental sort of riff on that, where they were like, yeah, it'll be like that, but different. So let's make a sphere, or if someone was actually, yeah, remember that one fucking time in that terrible sixth film where there was I... a. Yeah, I, and I, I really the, have no idea. I, I I would flip a coin on the intentionality there. Actually, they they talked about it in the in the in the commentary again. They talked about where um somebody asked Joss Whedon, "It's like, did you do any research for this movie?" He's just like, "Yeah, forty years of it." I mean, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at a certain point, I don't think you need to necessarily sit down and and prove your bona fides uh, <laughs> as a lifelong. You know, that was actually a question I that occurred to me though. Has has Whedon really specifically done horror horror before? I mean, obviously he did Buffy, which is you know played a whole bunch with horror monster tropes and such. But it's not really the same. It wasn't a horror show. It was a show that happened to have a lot of monsters in it. Right. You know, whereas, whereas this this is still sort of winking, so maybe it's not quite the same thing. But this was like a straight up. This was like a horror movie horror, and I don't know if he's specifically done that before. I think it's kind of interesting. It looks like he wrote Alien Resurrection. He did. He was involved in that. Yeah, that's. I. I would. I, was, I, I think that's probably one of those movies that had like a half dozen writers. Yeah, I think that one was almost, uh, 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 you know, almost or more of a mess than uh, even Alien Three, which and that and that was a total fucking mess too. So, I was. Uh, um, was it the? Yeah, I'm almost entirely sure it was the commentary for this uh, where they were just talking about Sigourney Weaver and you know how terrifying it was to work with Sigourney Weaver because you know <laughs> she's Sigourney fucking Weaver. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, yeah, I think they they mentioned it's like this. She was the only uh, she she was she. Oh, I you know what? I completely forgot how it's phrased. But, and if I can't phrase it right, the joke's not funny. So yeah, let's yeah. hope I remember it. Yeah, let, we'll, we'll just let one that one die on the vine for now. And if it uh, <laughs> if it resurrects itself, uh, that'll be a happy thing. Professional uh, radio personalities here. Yes, folks. yes. We, we need to send each other a dollar and then we'll be professionals. We'll both have made money off this. Uh, <laughs> but we break so, even as an organization. Crap. Yeah. So, 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 so other, yeah, but it looks good on the books. Uh, so, so other Hellraiser things, you noted that in, in where well, they end up in the black room, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, uh, and yeah, the, the very Hellraiser chains down there, the diary that they read from to invoke the evil zombie redneck Buckners in the first place, um, there, there's there's some very Hellraiser-y notes to their yeah. philosophy. There's like the the notion of like you know the gloriousness of the pain and so on and so forth. So that that that, that felt also like you know, and it's something you you could argue that there's like just a generic sort of worship of the sadistic in a lot of horror stuff. But that that felt like it was sort of on yeah. The, those. They they emphasized pain and 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 suffering, and that's a that's a pretty um, what do you call it? That that was a it's not not even just Heller. It's like a Clive Barkery thing specifically, where like every horror director has their own sort of things, and he he definitely goes for the pain part. Yeah, seemed seemed seemed, seemed very Barker esque as far as that yeah. goes. So I liked that. So I and I think that was that was most of what I could call Hellraiser. Although I will say I, I'm willing to bet that this is absolutely not in any way a reference to Hellraiser Eight Hellworld, but <laughs> the, the 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 totem selection room mm-hmm. really really reminded me of 
the scene in Hellraiser uh, Hellworld where Lance Henriksen's character is showing the kids around the house at the the Leviathan house, yeah. the party mansion, and they're all like toying with the various cool Hellraiser-y things and, uh, you know, Henry Cavill's playing with the tarot cards that get smudged and, you know. And, and I have to say, like, the, the way that they, you know, almost activate all of the items down there is roughly as stupid as spraying perfume in your face. Kind of, Directly yeah. in your eyes. Yeah, it's like, oh, hey, room full of creepy things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to solve the puzzle. I'm going to blow on this conch. I'm going to put on this pendant, and I'm just going to stare fixedly at this little music box. It was... Oh, um. Although to be fair, uh, yeah, the, the, the movie at least you know sets up a premise in which this is sort of defensive. Yeah. Uh, versus that film where it was just. Yeah, idiots. this movie is coherent. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know there there's a reason people are doing things. And there's even there's usually a reason they're doing stupid things like you yeah. know, it's a core element of course with the idea that they're being specifically manipulated by. Uh, a cynical bureaucracy into doing these things just to satisfy some constraints rather than doing it because they couldn't figure out how to write the movie if they didn't do that, you know? Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think that was all the Hellraiser stuff. So there you go. If you were just here for the Hellraiser content, it was good having you listening. Uh, <laughs> good night. <everybody>. Next, <laughs> next fortnight, we'll talk about another movie uh, that we can mention pins about or something. Uh, Things I liked. I, I I don't really want to recap the whole movie because yeah, uh, you know it's a good movie. People should just sit down and watch it. But uh, but there's lots of little things I liked, uh, some of which we've mentioned already. But uh, um, I really liked I really liked how the opening stuff with the kids uh, getting ready to go on the road trip thing. Uh, it was really definitely it was a really nice uh, combination of sort of investing in the tropes of like teen slasher flicks and immediately subverting them. And it was a really nice chain of those. Uh, like the, the, the first shot we get of any of the kids in the movie is a shot from outside a window of Dana in her underwear, which is like just yeah. classic. Like, oh, Hey, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a cute girl in her, uh, not much clothes, but that's like immediately subverted, uh, when her friends show up and then, you know, basically chides her for wanting to bring the e-context and not because like, Oh, being smart is dumb, but more like, Oh, Hey, let's go like relax instead of being super smart college students. Like we are. Uh, and then Thor shows up and he does the, the, the jokey, you know, where did you get this? Why do you have these books? You know, I learned it from watching you. That, that it was nice you riffing. Know, that, that, that riffing actually, it came out as just like, there needed to be more setup for that, just because it, it comes out of the blue so hard that it's you, you're, you're like it, it's over by the time you figure out what they're doing and can't really appreciate it on the first go. Like if you know that it's coming, it's funnier. It, that's when I think that's one of the few things in the in the, in the movie that that was you know it actually works better the second time or third yeah. or fourth time you watch it is that's that joke specifically. Yeah, but once you know what's going on there, he's yeah. he's he's then looking at the in- context. And and you're still sort of expecting this to be like okay, so here's the jock, and he's gonna be like, what are you books really? And then he's like, you know, books. No, don't read this book. The prof already knows it. Read this book instead. It'll do a better job of giving you some background that you won't get in the lectures. You know, the, the whole thing, the setting up, like, oh, these are actually college students yeah. who are actually at college and who are actually smart. And the stoner being introduced as, I mean, he's obviously the stoner comic relief, but he's also actually he's not like. A, a, a stoner intellectual, you know, reading some, yeah. you know, shitty memorized because it sounded cool. He's obviously an intellectual who's stoned, 
you know yeah his whole um his whole like when they're when they get into the rv and he's rolling a joint and you know he, he starts going off on something and jewel is like is society collapsing is society's binding and he has this speech and basically the entire speech is accurate like he presages the events of the movie in that like little short speech of his. Yeah, he basically outlines the poisonous of the nature of the society we currently live in, in a way that like, yeah, it's, it's the wonderful capstone yeah. that comes together at the end of the film. Plus he helpfully sh- foreshadows the lack of cell phones, which is kind of a necessary thing yeah. to do in a modern horror film, because you can't just have everybody have cell phones unless it's hell world. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It's, uh, it's actually what I liked is that, you know, his character or like his archetype specifically is the fool and it. He also sort of functions as a court jester, where he's the only one who can tell the actual truth about what's going on. He's the only one that, you know, talks back to uh talks back to the facility basically. I mean, yeah. who's, who's running the show. You know, he's the one saying it's like, you know, after uh, when when Kurt says he gets, you know, some more of that gas, he's like, "No, it's a bad idea to stick together. Let's split up." And he's like, "Really?" <laughs> that makes um, what kind of sense? Yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's the one that talks, you know, truth to power in this movie, sort of. And at the end, he's the one who dispatches, uh, well, no, I guess he doesn't dispatch the director, but he, you know, he makes sure that she's, she's good and dead. Yeah. And he, uh, well, I, I don't know. Does he make the decision to end the world? Cause I mean, I think he, he basically, hands he, he basically argues for it. You know, he successfully, I think lobbies towards the idea that letting the world end is maybe the correct thing to go at this point. Uh, so yeah, I think he gets credit for it. I, like like I, ultimately, I guess Dana made the decision by not immediately putting a bullet in his head. But yeah. uh, I think that occurred because he was making the argument he was. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Like like, like the, the concept of the fool, the, the archetype, obviously the film invests very explicitly in the text and the idea of archetypes as a means of communicating and negotiating with mm-hmm. the old gods. But at the same time, the film uses these archetypes, you know, in the subtext of the film and in the outline of the film. And it's, 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 it's just so fucking clever. It's, I love, yeah. I love how much parallelism there is in this film at the different levels of the storytelling. It just works and, so really well. Yeah, there's, there's, there's like an inversion where, you know, you meet all of these people at first and all of their personalities change into, into something, you know, clearly different. And in, in a way, that's almost what, what, kills them it's sort of you can make the argument but the thing is with marty you're introduced to him and you were introduced to him as like the stoner but he ends up being like the single most heroic character like he's the only one to fight against to fight back against the buckners in any way he survives it he's the only one to you know he starts fighting back against the facility and then he he ends the world so like while everybody else is you know while everybody else was set up as like you know just sort of a normal person with distinct personality features and like condensed into or like you know compressed into this like archetype for a purpose his his story arc is like the exact opposite where he's introduced as like a very very stereotypical kind of character and is the one who sees the most growth yeah no absolutely uh, yeah it's 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 really nicely done uh, well, you know, one thing, one thing that happened several times that I loved, uh, is so, so much of the way the film is put together seems to be based around the idea of trying to create this resonance of like the viewer's experience historically watching horror films. Like this is, this is a film that is much better if you've watched horror films before. Yeah, I think, absolutely. You know, uh, not, not that it wouldn't be good even just to uh to use a term that i managed not to get insulted by reading a umberto eco afterward on one of his books you know the the naive reader 
can enjoy it perfectly well too. But like, there's a lot of value in having the context, the, 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 the media context of horror films for this. And one of the things that the, the film really plays with is like, there's pop culture resonance. Like even people who like, wouldn't even think of them, wouldn't even use the words, you know, to describe themselves as sort of like media critics, as far as horror films, if you've seen a bunch of horror films, you kind of are, you understand that these things recur. You understand that there's specific things that tend to happen in horror films. Uh, you expect them, you recognize when they happen the way they should, you recognize when they happen, you know, when they get subverted, you recognize when they're done well versus done poorly. And this film is all about playing with the resonance of those experiences. And a bunch of times the film will have a character do something and it'll be, they'll do the thing that they never do in a horror, they'll do the smart thing that people never do in a horror film. And then the facility will essentially try and stop that from ruining their whole plan of sacrificing these kids to the god. And it's such a wonderful moment where the kid, like, like, like when Thor at one point says, okay, we got to stick together. And you're sitting there watching this film and you're like, fucking A! For one fucking time, someone in a horror film recognizing the risk of splitting up and they're doing the right thing. And I got so excited. I was like, yeah. And then we, then we pull out through a monitor to the facility and the guys in the facility are like, fucking God, you know. <laughs> ah! and, and they're angry that the kids are doing not the stupid thing, whereas you know we're so excited that they're doing not the stupid thing. So it becomes this, this wonderful sense of like antagonism between us as viewers and them as in-universe viewers, because they're the voyeurs within the film and we're the voyeurs of film. We're having this sort of like fucking like like yeah. psychic arm wrestling match with them over whether or not to, you know, cheer for not being dumb. You know, it's, it's yeah, and a I mean, couple it's, great it's, moments like that. It, yeah, it's reflected because I think like Hadley at one point, like towards the, you know, the false at, at the false ending, he's just like, you know what? It's kind of weird. I was almost rooting for her. And, you know, the implication of what he's saying in the universe, he was just like, he was just like, you know, I was, you know, part of me wouldn't mind the world ending just so that she could have, you know, just so she could keep going yeah. or, and, and, well, and yeah, partly, and but partly he's in the position at that point where he's acknowledging yeah. that the ritual works. Okay. Even if she survives so long right. as everybody's was dead. So he's like, he's almost that he's like rooting for her, despite the fact that he has no emotional need to root for her and would be just as happy with her being dead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I, I, I really, I, I feel like that's one of the things the film did best is really taking the experience of horror fans and and working those like in so many directions like that and really making you recognize in the characters in the film their reactions con- you know contrasted to your reactions about the things that you know yeah there's a, the, in horror. um right after uh Jules is killed and Kurt is um you know severely injured there's a shot you know there's a shot of the violence you know the the, the saw blade going across the canal, there's a spatter of blood and then it just there's like a uh, a you know, medium close-up shot of Hadley just staring like blankly, and I realized I had the exact same expression on my face. <laughs> and then there's like a beat, and then they do the like actual sacrifice part. Um, yeah, that I, I I think that was yeah. The um, the as far as like playing with uh just just playing with the with the expectations. Um, <clears throat> hang on. You, you, you say something. Okay, this, I've got a I've got a huge stretch here, but there's an exposition oh, character sorry. in the film. Uh, you better be. Uh, there's an exposition character in the film in the facility. There's the guard, and it's his first time at one of these things, and it's, it's a great setup because it gives him a little bit of an excuse 
uh, to sort of tell him about stuff and say things they wouldn't otherwise say to each other because they're all very blase. They're all very experienced. Yeah, with Fred this at whole some ritual point, like straight up drops exposition on him. Yeah, but um, it's 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 done in a way that that it's obvious like that it's an exposition drop, but it's also done in a way that she's like she's kind of awkward and like trying to keep up a conversation with a person who's might be disgusted with everything that they're doing. Yeah. And she kind of, she's clearly suing for like being the one who's less terrible than everybody else. But <laughs> even while she sympathizes with them, cause they're like her coworkers and she's part of this. But what I wanted to say is that, that, that guard's name mm-hmm. Truman. Now Truman, what they're doing, he's, he's learning this process for the first time. So they're, that basically, they're trying to show Truman the ropes. Now they're going to show Truman what's going on here. It's the Truman Show. The idea. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm going to assume that Joss Whedon did that specifically so that I could point it out in this podcast. Um, you cracked it. Yeah, uh, he's coming to your house it's with, wide with open. the crown and the flowers. Also, there was a nice little driving montage through uh, scenic woods. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, very, uh, very shining, I thought. Yes. I thought very, very trying I, to be shining. And I later on, my notes. With, the, with the elevators, like, I, it probably would have been Cube? too much for them to actually, well, yes, but, but specifically speaking of shining, there's one shot during when the elevators first open during the monster purge and monsters are killing everybody. There's a couple seconds where there's a couple really, really big gouts of blood that come out yes. of the elevator. Yeah, I saw that. And I, that, I felt like that, that had to, that had to be sort of going for the same thing, like another little Kubrick nod. Cause according to the wiki, it is, I don't know how accurate the, or how canonical with the stuff on the wiki is, but like they, you know, that they, definitely refer to that happening as a uh, as a shining homage i'm glad it wasn't just me then yeah uh, there's um and you know speaking of homages like the um the you know more uh, I, I guess i don't know how many times you have to see this movie and read about it to actually notice this <laughs> but the big betting board where they you know have that big list of monsters every single one of the monsters save for one i think shows up in the movie yeah, yeah, um, they, they, just, they, they, yeah. They, that's like you know, you if you if you if you pause it like I did the first time you watched and actually read it, and then you're you're watching it, you're just like, hey, that's okay. That that is a that is a creepy molesting tree. Um, but uh, yeah, so everything except one guy named Kevin shows up. <laughs> yeah, as far as we know, we never actually saw Kevin. Yeah. Uh, I, oh man, what else? Uh, there was I, I liked I liked. Uh, Early on in the film, when they're uh, getting back to the, the, the shining, driving overhead shot montage sort of thing, uh, they, they set this up very nicely where the, the, the RV drives into the tunnel, and then we switch over, like, just smoothly over to tracking a, a hawk flying along. And, you know, hawk cries, and it's obviously like a CGI hawk, uh, mm-hmm. but obviously because, technically speaking, it obviously must have been. It looked fine. Yeah. Uh, and it's flying along, and we see it setting up for like a soaring, you know, move to a big pan to a horizon or something. And instead, it explodes on a hexagonal uh, grid of some sort of force field. Yeah, that's uh, and they don't yeah. linger on it, which was great because they keep doing the tracking, and eventually, what the tracking is following is the car going through the tunnel. There, there's no lingering on that. Uh, it's clearly a gag, but they don't, they don't. Um, well, and it's it's great not only because yeah, because it, it's a gag because uh, it, it's so jarring. It, it, it's uh, it's hilarious and terrible. A bird explodes mm-hmm. out of the blue. It tells you that there is this force field. Uh, 
And then, and then they just, yeah, they just move right on. And the thing is, later in the film, there's this obviously uh, important uh, moment, uh, like halfway through the film, then when things have gone terrible, the kids are trying to escape, uh, they've collapsed the tunnel, although they were almost too late to do it. Uh, they collapse the tunnel, the kids are like, well, how are we going to get out of here? And they're like, well, Will, Thor's like, I'm going to ride my fucking Chekhov's motorbike over this gap and he gives a great hero speech. It's a classic sort of like, yes, to the fucking hilt. Like this is like, this is a classic moment of badass and triumph where someone gets a resolve to do the hard thing. That's going to change the fucking game. And he gives his speech and he gets on his bike and they, they don't even rush it. Like he, he gets on his bike, he turns around, he rides up. We get shots of the other two surviving kids looking back at him. Hopefully, uh, the music swells. He does yes. his big jump. We go slow motion. We cut to an E.T. style sideways medium shot or, or, or medium long shot of him flying through the air. It's the it's the most exciting fucking moment in these kids' day because like, oh my God. And then he hits the grid. And at yeah. that moment, the first time I watched the film, I had forgotten entirely about the grid. <laughs> like even though they had the hawk in there because like you said, they moved on. Like they did that. They told us something. Oh, this is, there is more going on in the organization here than we know. But then they move on and there's so much other stuff that I'm like geeking out on enjoying this film that he hit that. I was like, oh shit. And I just, I was like, Fucking, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, then the, the actual death, I mean, you see him just, it's like uh, the episode of The Simpsons when um, Homer tries to leap, uh, <laughs> the, leap the, uh, yeah, the canyon on like Bart's on the skateboard. skateboard yeah. And then he's just like, there's a really long take of him just like hitting the mountain over and over again, tumbling down it. They, they did the same thing with this, where it's just like, it's a prolonged shot of him just like smacking against the force field going down into yeah. like this deep, deep chasm. Well, it's useful because it sells the idea that this is not just like, you know, a bit of a canyon. There is something seriously fucking monstrously yeah. bottomless about this situation, which which ties in well to the whole elder god thing. So yeah, I, I really I liked that 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 hawk scene and that, and that's all we see this this forest field just those two moments. And I kind of wonder how many other people got as distracted as I did to be legitimately completely surprised by he, that. He 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 actually mentioned that the he screened this for two audiences, like a general audience and the South by Southwest audience. The South by Southwest audience saw it coming; the other audience didn't. <laughs> And they clearly made it work for both because, you know, if, if they were just completely betting on the people not remembering it, I don't think they would have made the dialogue just like so like – I mean the, the, the dialogue in that scene is sort of like the height of the – of um, like the opposite of Whedon-style dialogue where like it's, it's – Whedon's – where, you know, Whedon's dialogue is like really, really um, – what do you call it? Distinctive. It's, it's casual, but then it's also like sort of uh, – what do you call it? Uh, I don't know. It's, you it's, haven't called it yet. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it's, it's, co- it's, it's, compl- it's complex in its construction in a way that just like regular dialogue isn't where it's just like it sounds really ur- uh, erudite and really – um, and really just simple and casual and friendly at the same time. And that dialogue is like totally like over the top, like action movie dialogue. It's like, you know, uh, what, what, what the hell does, uh, Holden say to him? It's just like, you know, you know, don't hold back. And Hemsworth turns around and he says, I never, I do. never do. Yeah, no, it's, and it's like, you know, he's doing that line straight in some other movie five years from now. Yeah, no, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's super, it's schlock, but it's the kind of schlock that makes a good, you know, swelling music, you know, Big big hero moment scene, and then he and then he just uh, splatters of, like a bug. Musical cues, the bong. 
Did you did you notice the um, when the uh, when one of the Buckners drags uh, drags Marty out? First, you see him like clawing at his desk, and you're not sure what's happening. And then you know he's like standing face to face with one of the Buckners, and he like extends the bong out like like a lightsaber basically. And there's like this really brief like you know like heroic sort of almost like a video <laughs> yes. gamey noise like, like dun yeah yeah no, and then yeah. he just smacks the zombie but clearly that's not you know doing much and then when he returns like his big you know coming back scene where he like catches the uh the bear the bear trap thing you know the, that sound comes again like it's the the bong has its own leitmotif basically yeah and that was have you ever seen um master of the flying guillotine or more not. specifically master of the flying guillotine part two <laughs> <laughs> that one no i it's um i've never seen the first one i've only seen the second one because uh the second one it's just a, it's a chinese you know uh action film but one with like you know magic and like superpowers and uh Dalsim from street fighter is basically taken wholesale from that movie <laughs> okay but um the the flying guillotine it's this weird like little hat on a chain that decapitates things and i'm wondering if that's uh if that's a reference the uh the the bear thing on a chain or if that's you know just uh what do you what do you call it the uh, two minds arriving at the same com- conclusion sort of independently of each other that I, i'm just going to say that it's that one yeah it's that one yep <laughs> i'm failing <laughs> on vocabulary so yes that one that thing you described perfectly well in a phrase that uh, word picture. Let's call it that. Let's call it itself. Let's uh, let's let's roll out the old identity function. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, speaking of Whedon dialogue, the answer, uh, the uh, the speakerphone. Oh Mordecai God, yes, on the speakerphone. Mordecai the harbinger on the speakerphone was that a, was that's a beautiful scene. Brilliant, because he at this at the same time you know that he's taking that job seriously as the harbinger, but he's also aware of the fact that they're making fun of him, and he's frustrated with that in in a way that's so like not consistent with the rest of like the you know like the sort of like doom part of the character that it was just really funny. Yeah, the, the, and, the cognitive dissonance involved in just navigating that whole social situation of everybody running through their routine, and the guys in the facility are all blasé because they're sitting around just like they're at the office. They're at the fucking yeah. office, whereas Mordecai is the guy who doesn't necessarily have that sort of uh, situation. Like, he's really stuck out there playing the crazy, you know, redneck store owner, brooding, scary dude. You know, he's not sitting around with the guys, and so, yeah, it's like the... I, I, I almost identified with him specifically as the guy being stuck in this weird, awkward situation where, you know, yeah. Yeah. He's, cause, cause he, he, you know, he truly, he's, he is, you know, an integral part of keeping the world alive and he knows it, but he also knows that, you know, they're, that they're fucking with him. Yep. Um, yeah. The, uh, the wolf, the wolf scene. Where Jules makes out with the wolf. <laughs> that was pretty That great. was, I mean, that that was a deliberate, like, you know, if, if there's like a two-way mirror, which there is in this movie, but if there was like a two-way mirror that the directors were watching, that an audience watched that scene with, you could see them like, you know, having belly laughs at the audience, like terrified that this wolf is about to bite her face off. And that never comes. Yep. Um, and then, but then you get, you get the werewolf, in the uh, you get the werewolf when they're going through the zoo, and it, it almost feels like that's the payoff for it. It's just like, oh, you know, the the werewolf never bitter, but you know, here's an actual werewolf, and then the werewolf gets loose and kills a bunch of people, and then the werewolf comes back in the final scene. Yeah, it so gets that to, that was um, to bite yeah. the surviving heroine. So yeah, no, it was, it, yeah, it was a nice 
there's a nice set of things there. Uh, and uh, the the other thing, um, you, you've seen like old Tex Avery cartoons, right? Where uh, um, you know they, they they've always got like that that lecherous wolf, and like the attractive yeah, yeah. woman comes in, and there's like that slow upward panning shot from like her feet to her head, and then the wolf whistle. That's that was almost the exact same kind of shot that was uh, that that was on Jules. Yeah, the slow she was going up, to make pan out up on Jules from behind. Yeah, yeah. I thought was, yeah, no, I thought that was a great scene, partly because like it it. it, it it ran this uh, nice dividing line in the idea of the character transformation because it like it was both like you know buying into the idea of her as being turned into essentially the harlot archetype, but at the same time the whole thing was so much more deliberate and well played and 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 audacious compared to just like you know oh it's the ditzy blonde who will like you know kiss something on a dare that it was like it was like just aggressively like intelligent and a, a display of like, you know, sort of personal conviction and, and panache as opposed to the, the ditzy bimbo thing. So yeah, it was like a wonderful, wonderful marrying of those two different sort of things going on with the character at, at that point in the, in the narrative and, arc. Yeah. And at that point, um, like the transformation with Kurt starts and his like first line of dialogue as, you know, the asshole jock is, um, Oh, no, no, it's not his first line. Uh, no, first he calls, uh, what's his name, uh, Holden an egghead. But when they're down in the basement, um, you know, because that, that's, that's Dana's dare, and, you know, she gets freaked out, and Kurt's just like, um, it's like, well, you lose, take your top off, them's the rules. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's like a totally asshole thing to say. And it just, it calls back to the very beginning where they, where they meet, and they're talking, and then he's just like, eh, he's just like, yeah, I just really like that book. And you're in your underwear, and he gets sort of like really bashful and quickly darts out of the room. Yeah. So just like it's it, it's a it sets up a pretty good contrast to that. I just uh, that's I really wish that was one of the things that they they did with uh with Holden just something like yeah. that that clear. Yeah, and I, I wonder I wonder if something ended up just not making it in because it does feel like they, Holden's characters got used less than. Yeah. They the said all of the cuts they made were from the first act. Yeah, and uh, so I I could see that. Yeah, um, so there, there was yeah, but I mean I I feel like if. The, the pacing just in the beginning was is, is so just like beat by beat, you know, like it does what it needs to do and then it, you know, goes into the actual movie that I think if they had started developing the characters anymore, it actually would have started dragging a bit. Yeah. No, it's fair. I, I, think, I think it worked out the way it was, but yeah, I yeah. still, I, I hear you on the Holden thing. Uh, one little note that I liked, uh, again, on sort of like, you know, genre savvy uh, mm-hmm. as, as the theme of the whole thing is they've got the discussion during the betting, uh, like after the taken bets and the kids go down to to play with the totems and choose their mm-hmm. doom there's the conversation where uh they're getting payoffs on bets and uh somebody's like oh but i, I had zombies too and one of the characters is like oh, no but this is zombie redneck torture like, family yeah. totally different species uh which which is which is funny in its own right uh but also like is there any more direct nod to the notion of like, you know, arguing over subgenre in, yes. in horror than that moment? Like, you know, species, you know, we're really just talking about, no, 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 because that was, that was silent light, deadly night, not black Christmas, totally different films about being murdered by a serial killer on Christmas. Like, and come they, on. they, they even back that up because um, like at the point where they like during the monster purge, when they encounter regular zombies, they're completely different looking and acting from the Buckners. Like com- yeah. they're, they're two, they are in fact two completely separate, you know, sort of monsters. Yeah. 
Uh, I really liked the the the. the, the, the I, I kind of wish there had been even more references to other uh, like horror traditions, but really what we got was a bunch of American slasher, and then a couple references, a couple very direct references to sort of the Ring or Juon type uh, yeah. horror at the Kyoto facility with the you know dark haired evil you know dead girl and the Japanese schoolgirls and whatnot. Yeah, uh, and there was um. Just as far as different traditions, there was uh, there was a little bit of home invasion when they introduced the uh, the characters clearly based on that that movie. The what is it? The Strangers, like that yeah, home invasion yeah. where they were masked. You know, that is the first movie where I was watching it, and like I I really just home invasion. I that's that's a genre I can't do just because of the suspense and anxiety. And I was like the first movie I was watching, and I'm just like this movie is just making me uncomfortable in a complete in a way that's not really fun at all. And I don't think I need to prove to anybody that I watch this, so I'm just gonna turn it off and watch something else. <laughs> See, I've only seen little bits of it. I should watch this. One. Like I, I agree that it's a weird sort of it's a, it's a special sort of uncomfortable tense genre, but at the same time, apparently I'm okay with it. Uh, so I, I should see that sometime. Did you ever see uh, what was the uh, the Cronenberg one with Vigo? Um, oh, was... uh, are you talking about um, the History of Violence? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't strictly you know a home invasion yeah. flick, but that was a strong like that was a good act of it. Was basically that uh, as yeah, that... Uh, the, as the most of the third act, I guess. Yeah, and um, yeah, there was a. Oh, speaking of uh, just different different traditions, so they had a uh, they had a brief scene where they were showing the different scenarios that failed after they showed that the the Japanese one had failed, and okay, so one of them is uh, one of them is Buenos Aires, and it's basically like a giant dead ape, kind of like King Kong, but he's got uh, monster horns. <laughs> one of them is uh, Stockholm, and it's just an airplane flying away from like a destroyed facility, and I'm like 90% sure that's an allusion to the thing. <laughs> but the Madrid one is just a castle exploding, and I can't find anything on the web as to what that's supposed to be alluding to. Yeah, I feel like I should go back and look at that. Like, I, I saw that flash by, and I was distracted, so I didn't really see it. I just saw, like, basically a hillside and a fire. Uh, is, is Madrid where they have the giant statue of Christ? Because I was no, almost that's, wondering. Uh, that's Buenos Aires. Oh, okay, okay. Then, uh, then, then, then screw even that vaguest of vague theories. But yeah, no, I was, I, I'm kind of curious. It seems like I didn't see any real good references to any of that in the trivia. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I would like to know more of what's going on there. Yeah, um, that was, but you know, maybe it's, it's just one of those things that were, where they're just like, let's either they ran out of ideas or they left that open just to make conversations like this happen. Uh, and the movie's deliberate enough that, you know, I, you know, it, it, it's yeah, it's like a coin flipping thing where it could be one, could be the other. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to, to note, just uh, for the sake of noting it, because uh, Angela pointed this out, and it was like, oh yeah, I guess that's really really clear once you put it that way. Uh, the, the 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 parallel with the idea of the facilities ma- micromanaged arena environment with Hunger Games or I guess Battle Royale, Gazundheit. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I just uh, I don't even have anything to say about it. just like oh yeah well I guess that's uh, in terms of contemporary uh, you know uh, film and literature yes it's kind of hard to get away from the idea that this is sort of a a, a much less uh, dressed up view of that same basic idea of uh, of, of yeah the people sitting around pressing the buttons uh, I, I totally divorced from a, the presentation. Uh, 
Yeah, I love that there was a a, a romance button, like when they're <laughs> when they're out in the uh, the when they're out in the woods and they're gonna they're gonna fuck. First, they you know release the pheromone mist, so it looks like you know like a misty forest scene, and then he just like you know that she's like not getting into fucking specifically outside and so what uh you know one of the technicians he turns a knob and like this ray of moonlight illuminates some force <laughs> she's like all right i'm in on this it was and beautiful i yeah i love the romance knob i i, I need to just get one installed around here it, it would be so convenient another another romancy thing uh there's this class there's this this classic setup shot uh back back when uh when when the cabin's getting properly invaded uh, and uh, Dana is in one room, and Holden's in the other, and uh, he he busts out the the, the one way mirror so that she can come through, so she doesn't get you know murdered by the Buckners, uh, and so she sort of like he helps her jump through, and and she falls, and she lands right on top of him, and it was like a total setup for a oops she fell on top of him or vice versa thing with a long look. Uh, but then they just skipped the long look. She just like fell. It was actually just clumsy, no pause, no linger. And then they get up and run because they're actually, you know, you're, you're getting fucking murdered by zombies. So I really liked that. I felt like that was a really nice subtle thing where they just, they put it there and then did nothing with it Yeah, on purpose, just conspicuous failure to capitalize. There's, um, especially towards like the very end, there's a lot of like guy lady affection that's completely platonic and there is, that, that's yeah. nice to see it's it's really nice to see that like when the the elevator is going down apparently this was Joss Whedon's like favorite shot um you know you see them through the through the uh the screen and then it sort of like zooms in and actually zooms in through the screen like into reality i i, I can't really explain it better but basically like they're both like armed and like filthy in this and you know and at this point like the contrast between like the very clean facility and like the actual horrible things that are going on is really apparent because they're like completely filthy covered in blood dirt you know they're armed with these you know they, they've got a gun and a sharpened trowel um and you know they're they're just sort of like holding each other in the elevator looking very um you know unsure but in no way like they're trying to escape they're they're going into it like that's that was that that was just the the opposite of like the slasher film where like at the end the last girl escapes like that's what she does like maybe she kills the uh you know whatever evil it is incidentally just as a form of self-defense but you know the point is that she escapes like in texas chainsaw massacre you know she throws herself into the back of like a moving pickup truck and um you know there's always the scene where she just like you know, breaks down crying against the tree because it's all over. And sometimes it is, sometimes it is. But in this one, they're just like, look, there's only one way to go. And that's just like, you know, to take it to them. And that's all we can do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that sort of resolve was pretty, was pretty great. Yeah. And, and like, you know, I think that scene and a couple others, was the conspicuous lack of any attempt to romanticize yeah. just the basic need for some human connection. Like they're, they're huddling together at times because Jesus fucking Christ, they're both wounded. They're terrified. They're confronting the concept of like, you know, death in a cynical world and blah, 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 blah. And so it's like, yeah, you know, it'd be kind of nice just to have an arm around me, but not in a way that's ever going to have a lingering sort of <sighs> musical swell sort of thing going on. Uh, there was a nice little touch, uh, just another tiny little horror trope. But at one point when they're in the cabin, they've escaped into like the black room temporarily. And she's got uh, some sharp object. It's, yeah, the knife that grabs the, the, the knife off yeah, the table of knives. 
Yeah, but, but, but then, and, and then there's some stabbing, and they take out mm-hmm. one of the Buckners. And then just as a tiny little shot, we get a shot of the facility where uh, Sitwell presses a button. And I don't think we even yes. saw a label on it. And there's a tiny little spark uh, in her hand that causes her to drop the knife without her noticing. And it's, it's, it's wonderful because so many times, how many times in a fucking horror movie does someone put down a weapon that they've just used for the scene it was in? And then you're like, but hold on. Why would you put the, you son of, what are you thinking? Hold on to the goddamn sharp thing. You're in a fucking horror movie. This is what your movie. inventory slots are for. Exactly. Come on. And so, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was another really just yeah. nice, super subtle little thing. Uh, it didn't and even need to be just- there, but it was. And it's it, yeah, and it also speaks to just like just how constructed everything is. Like every little part is constructed. The she could have picked any one of those. Like you know, the there was like ten, twelve knives on the table. It was like a it was a carving set or something. And you know, they would have all done that because they they you know they everything in in there is completely deliberate. Yep. Um, oh, you know what I found really kind of funny? There's uh, so. This, the uh, patient's Buckner, basically what happens is, um, you know, Marty is convinced to go take a walk by, like, the, the disembodied voice that he's just, like, you know, <laughs> really pissed off by. Like, everybody else is, like, convinced to do the things the disembodied voice says. And he's just like, does anybody hear the disembodied voice that's clearly coming from something? And, um, you know, eventually, you know, it convinces him to take a walk. And he's, you know, he's peeing. um and, you know, it's like a extreme close shot, not extreme, but like a really close, close shot on his face. And you see just like sort of Patience Buckner, like sneaking, not even sneaking, but just like walking towards him, but darting sort of him out of the shadow. Yeah. And so, you know, she enters the shadow the moment he turns around, then he turns back and then you see her like walk in the shadow. And then immediately like something grabs him and you're like, oh shit. And it's, uh, it's Kurt. And he's just like, we got to get in the house. He's like, okay. And on the way back in, Kurt just clothesline Patience. <laughs> just clocks her. It's beautiful. <laughs> Sort of yeah. strips out all that like slow menacing approach. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It, it, it reminded me of the other shot when they're in the facility and uh, Marty's got the gun and like some sort of zombie thing is on him and he just, you know, whips out the gun, shoots it point blank in the face, the head explodes, and then it sort of hits him and he's just like, ah. Like, like he just, you know, he the, the reflex was, you know, for self preservation, but, you know, that little aftershock was great. Yep. Um, Okay, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a structural question. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, I'm going to say one other thing first, which is the bear trap on a chain, Buckner. That's a dumb thing that I, I I'm, I, I'm glad they went with it because it was like a dumb, blatant thing that was just like mm-hmm. sort of a character thing. It really, it that was kind of like a bad round of invent a centibite <laughs> in its own right. There, it's like he's a guy with a chain, and there's a bear trap on it because it's not like you can even throw up. It doesn't make sense, but at the same time, it's uh, it's a horror film, so it's okay, fine. Uh, I just wanted to call that out because it sort of made me laugh at the time. But also, they go down in the black room. The black room is this basement room under the house. Now, here's the thing. They already went down to the basement previously, and it's possible these are just two different basements connected to two different parts of the house. But it's also possible, Angela brought this up, uh, that the idea is, okay, now that we've actually figured out what the scenario is, we can reconfigure the room for the appropriate scenario. So it's the black room specifically because they pulled the Buckners. And so then they you know, swap out the contents of uh, the cellar with yeah, the totems no, for for that. Did you did you get the impression the, that it was one or the other? Um I was actually confused about how that that worked that were were there two basements, but now that you mention it, yeah, that makes sense. And if you like all of the all of the advertisements, all of the movie posters for this film, it it's basically like a 
cabin, but it, that's you know simultaneously a Rubik's cube. Yeah, where like you know the parts you know don't really match or aren't aligned, and you know there's you know the bottom like the side where the bottom should be, and that that sort of makes sense that they're you know they they've got like complete control over exactly what's going on in there. Exactly. Um, so I I I I, fav- I I think it's a great idea. I, I wasn't. I feel like I almost need to like look at the blueprints of the house to figure out. Uh, whether it was supposed to be one way or the other, because I don't remember where the the entrance they went into the second time was, but I I really like that idea. Um, I've got a few. We've touched on most like the little elements and things that I liked. Uh, I mean, I I, I love the pull away shot of the the moving monster zoo. All the cubes yeah. they looked like like something out of cube, or I guess out of Willy Wonka a little bit with the sideways elevator. You know, I liked that. I liked that Sigourney Weaver's voice coming in finally. Uh, in the super white facility, it was a little bit Glados from Portal. I liked that. Uh, it was a nice sort of the same sort of menace. Um, I liked that Sigourney was wearing gloves because what says I am the sort of fascist bad guy in the situation more than someone who walks around discussing things rationally while wearing gloves. Um, I love the unicorn murder. I loved that. Uh, yes, the, Bradley the got killed unicorn by unicorn murder. Yeah, that was that was that was that was just wonderful. Uh, Bradley Whitford getting killed by the merman he'd always wanted to see was also a very nice touch and and I felt like even understated the way they did it like you didn't yeah, really know uh, what it was what it was that was coming for him it was coming for him. it's only after like it really they switched to the shot above of it murdering him that you really saw, oh that kind of looks like a murder there's okay. there's a musical cue right before that when there's like something emerging from the uh something emerging from the fog and you know there's like this mu- there's like a like a uplifting musical key like you like the same sort of thing that you would have in like um a film where like a guy is like staring into the fog and his lover walks out of it <laughs> it was it was almost like that and it's the merman and and his only uh, reaction to it is like oh come on <laughs> i didn't even catch the musical side of it that's beautiful uh, was, but yeah, yeah. so, so there I was some- um, right before that actually there was a a funny uh, thing from the director's commentary was um, when he's he's got like the uh, the what is it the was it a machine gun? I, I'm, I'm not great with guns, but um, Hadley's, you know, got the gun. And he's shooting the uh, the spider, and the director just like they they stop filming. And he comes up to him. He's just like, "Listen, what if in this scene this wasn't the best day of your life, but the worst day of your life because he was way too enthusiastic with the gun?" <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was pretty funny, and yeah. The merman shot. They had to. They had only one try to make that work. Really? Yeah, because uh, after the, after that, Bradley Whitford's head had been chewed off, and they could never take another. Well, no, they could have reattached the head, but the entire scene was soaked in blood, and apparently, like, y- you don't get blood out of sets real easily. Ah, uh, that's I, I. I had no idea. I, you know, I thought, I thought they just you know hose it down, but no, apparently, considerably more complicated than that. So, like, all of the stuff with like the tons and tons of blood everywhere that had to be shot, you know, last. Yeah. Um, okay, I have I have a, I have a few uh, big questions. I don't know how big they're. I have a few questions, a few discussion topics, the mm-hmm. things that came to mind for me that I want to bring up. If if you're okay, uh, no, I'm changing I'm gears to that. Then little, I mean, a, a digression. What, yeah, on this I know, podcast? I know. It's it's a lot to ask. But uh, have you watched NBC lately? Speaking. <laughs> of, no, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of a poem. Uh, Okay, so one of the things, uh, this, and this, okay, this is this is a warm up, but the ancient dark ones slumbering beneath the earth. Um, we already talked a little bit about my my 
misgivings about whether they were like Lovecraftian versus like just sort of human shaped titans or whatever. But uh, they're definitely but, set up as Lovecraftian. Yeah, I, I feel like the overwhelming like that's part of why the hand thing bothered yeah. me. It just I mean, they're too much the, of like they're straight up called the old ones. You yeah, know, that's. Well, but they also say old gods at times, and you could read that as literally like the titans of you know Greek mythology, you know, which you were at least humanoid uh, great giants lurching about the earth, uh, as far as I can recall. Um, so it was, it was I, I mean, I really, I really got the Lovecraftian vibe, but uh, but anyway, that's that's not even my point. My point is they are established as the actual true sort of evil or horror or unknowability of the universe. Like these are. You know, you know, Cthulhu and Buds, they're the actual horror in this universe where we've got all these other horror tropes arriving via the facility for this. So it's sort of like a Cthulhu as Tommy Westfall thing is what I'm thinking. He's, he's, Cthulhu is the autistic kid staring into the snow globe, seeing the entire horror canon play out before him uh, just in his imaginings. And he's the only real monster in the world. That, thoughts? I, it, tur- it turns out I yeah, couldn't turn it into a question. Yeah, that he's just sort of uh that he's sort of like dreaming all of horror into existence and we're exactly. like the vessel to create it. Yeah, that, that makes very much sense in the, in the context of the movie. Okay. Resolved. Okay. That's, that's uh, a, <laughs> that one's taken care of. Check that one off the list. <laughs> um, there, there's repeated re- references to the, the old gods uh, and such being remnants of the old world. Now this is something the film yeah, never that, touches on. Uh, yeah. The, 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 just a very, very blase way they talk about like the old world makes me feel like there is like there is something in the history, like the the like the actual history of this world that people are privy to that we're not, just because of like the completely offhanded way they mention like the old world and that, you know, the reactions to it aren't particularly, you know, spectacular. Yeah. It's like, like are we dealing with uh, you know, are the old gods prehistoric or is the old world the pre-apocalypse world and what we see of the world as it does exist is some attempt to, you know, reconstruct or reassemble uh, what we currently think of as, as actual, you know, normal life. And then 200 years go by and everything still looks like the early 21st century because that's, that's where we are with stuff. Yeah. It's like the, the film, I really, it feels like they never even attempted to, suggest where they were going with that but it really it kept coming back to me trying to figure out if there was anything to work with there to to make sense of that yeah i think that's just one of those like little touches that that you know is purposefully left a loose end just because there's really the, it, considering that this movie has a very specific plot and direction there was really no way to have any more reveals around that that didn't feel tacked on yeah so it was just like one of those just like little world building things that um yeah it's like an intentional loose end yeah and and, and I, I think that probably the 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 safe reading is to assume that it's more a reference just to the idea that the ancient gods are ancient rather than some complicated post apocalyptic scenario since there's very little in the text of the film that actually gives us a sign yeah. that the world well, is something other than we expect well i think i think the the one thing that does actually speak to that is the immense amount of like ritual sacrifice infrastructure that exists. You know, it's a worldwide thing. Very, um, it's a worldwide thing. Very okay. Uh, something got very exciting over there. You're gonna talk for about a minute straight right now. I'm uh, give me one sec. All right. 
I'm not actually going to talk. We're just going to enjoy the, the silence here and then I'll, I'll do a quick cut here. But, uh, I wish, I wish I actually, I wish I had a joke. I wish I had a joke. We could workshop a joke. Yeah. So we're, we're recording this right now. It's about <laughs> 10 PM, uh, New York time. We we're we usually record this on Sunday mornings. Um, well, mornings, well, mornings for Josh afternoons for me. And this is right now, this is, you know, Saturday evening. Cause, uh, I, I have stuff to do tomorrow, so that that's just my fiance coming home and uh, ringing the doorbell and the dog going off because the doorbell went off. So she's about to enter, and she has no idea that um, we're podcasting. So that'll be fun. Let's see what happens. Uh, yeah, okay. Um. <laughs> I don't. I totally forgot what we were talking about when the doorbell uh, rang. Uh, the, the pre-apocalypse or prehistoric thing. Uh, but oh, I, yeah, I think, yeah. I think so there's, had, there's like yeah. a massive worldwide infrastructure for, and you know, it's it's funded by something and it's um you know it's it, it's everywhere uh so i think that sort of speaks to how um how uh what do you call it how how massive just like the whole thing is sure well but but my my feeling is that doesn't tell us anything about whether or not there's supposed to be some sort of apocalyptic event that occurred or whether this is just the one thing that's different about this world uh <laughs> See that's the thing that there's a there's a giant dead um you know devil king kong thing in Buenos Aires and this can't possibly be the first time and something really bad happened in 2008 because they allude to it because that's when the chem department fucked up and oh, right. yes yeah, something really bad happened in 2008 so this is you know in this world you know the horror stuff is real and it's frequent Right, yeah, this this seems to happen repeatedly. Yeah, it looks like it has to happen it happens once a year. But at the same time we we don't necessarily know how public this is. I mean, it it, it may be sort of public, but at the same time you wouldn't be able to draw in the naive participants if it were actually common knowledge. So that might be more of an area 51 thing where the giant ape thing is somehow played off as I don't know, they were shooting a movie or or whatever the hell, you know, so, something where Obviously, there's the government infrastructure, but there's government infrastructure for plenty of things uh, in the real world, too, where there's billions of dollars put into stuff that basically no one is supposed to know about. You know? So I don't, think that's, I don't think that's definitive by itself, basis. my take. I feel like we still don't have enough information about what people outside of this bureaucracy know right. about any of this stuff and whether it has uh, – so I, I feel like it's ambiguous, but I, I would be curious to see if there are more specific notes in the film that, that give – a uh, stronger sense of guidance of how to interpret that. Um, and I actually have something else sort of on that, but first I want to jump to a, a different thing, which is sort of a horror history question, which I can't actually answer. And I got curious thinking about it. There's a scene when, when Jules and Kurt are messing around, but before they actually, you know, finally seal the deal uh, with some, her getting on top of him and, and opening up her shirt. And I feel like, the the bare breasts were the moment where they were like, okay, we got this. You know, now we can mm-hmm. sacrifice her. Um, prior to that, he sort of pulled her, her pants off, and mm-hmm. he's sort of nosing around uh, in her crotch while we get a shot just like of her laying down from like you know uh, like uh, close shot from like you know torso up, and, and she she's sort of giggling and then starts moaning a little bit, and there's clear intimation, yeah, uh, intimation of, of oral sex happening here. And what I was thinking is. We have the notion of the transgressive sexual act, you know, the, the, the teenagers being sexy. Is the definitive transgressive sexual act ever a woman receiving oral sex? 
Because like it seems like fucking maybe blowing uh yeah bare breasts you know you know hetero intercourse seems like the definitive thing and i i don't know if like according to the rules as it were you know to to take screams formulation of this i don't know if the rules pertain to a woman receiving oral sex as a legitimate uh corrupting sexual event that dooms the teenagers or whatever I, I think that that might be just like another one of those like Whedon-y touches where basically all of the sexual activity in this movie is presented in like this is it's like this is this is how it works if you're not creepy and you know that's a thread that's continued with like any sort of sex that's going on in this movie so I, I think it was it was one of those things where instead of like the you know like sort of weird, misogynistic, exploitative sort of uh, sex scenes that you're used to in horror movies, these are much more, you know, even-handed yeah. and not, like, explicitly not exploitative. And, you know, I, I think that, that that sort of, like, tops it off. Yeah, it felt like a conspicuous choice to me, and I'm kind of... Yeah, no, yeah, yeah it absolutely... I'd be curious if there's any sort of filmic counter-argument to that or if that's actually just a totally reliable example of, yeah, exactly, the weird sort of... Uh, you know, at best, uh, steeped in lazy habits. At worst, you know, actually a little bit misogynistic presentation of the sexual dynamics of these things. Um, so that was my sidebar. But my big question, I actually wrote "big question", big question. in all caps, and and used uh, the bold button on it. Uh, do horror films exist in this universe? Because That's, these characters ought to be genre savvy, and the film is very genre savvy, and the facility people are all, in a sense, genre savvy. But these characters aren't actually. They're not stupid, or to the extent that they are, you know, at yes, points in the film, they're stupid because they've been fucked with. So they would peg this as horror movie shit, like, immediately, even drunk and addled, I think, if horror movies as a genre existed in this universe, is my my feeling. And... Yeah, they 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 really go through lanes to have it it's it's sort of taking the, the, the meta thing in a completely different direction than Scream did, where in Scream you literally had characters going around, it's like, oh, this is just like a horror movie. And in, in this one it's the opposite, where they're all just like gaping at how or at least Marty is just gaping at how absolutely ridiculous the whole thing is and how ridiculous everybody's acting. But he yeah, nobody ever makes that connection. Nobody nobody mentions any kind of media. Nobody you know, um the director at the end, Sigourney Weaver, she doesn't mention it uh, at all. It's there's you know there's a really good argument to be made that there aren't any horror movies in in this in this world. But I, but exactly, I, yeah, you never have a character say horror movie. What's a horror movie? So like we don't yeah. get any like fortunately because you know, that'd be terrible. I don't know how you'd pull it you know, off. Considering that like something at least you know there's one two. Like, hang on, there's one there's five there's at least five separate facilities. They all have to go off at least once a year because I. I they they make it pretty clear that all five facilities attempt the the ritual just like as a uh, you know multiple points of failure thing so every year at least five horrible things happen across the globe that are you know literally the plot of a horror movie where uh and you know maybe it's just horror movies as a genre are just like considered such bad taste in this universe that it's just not a done thing yeah which 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 is i feel like it's I like the idea, but at the same time, it, yeah. it feels hard to justify because it it's hard well, to Well, I mean, think about, think about how many Holocaust movies are anything but a Holocaust movie. 
Like how many how many Holocaust movies have you seen that are like specifically like I mean like concentration camp Holocaust not world like not the World War Two aspect but like the actual you know like killing of many many people part like how many movies like that are, that are done in in a genre that isn't just like completely straight uh, drama or tragedy you know I I can name. <laughs> Two, Jerry Lewis, the the day yes, the clown Jerry cried. Lewis, the, the, the day the clown cried, and life is beautiful. Those are the only two, and even life is and beautiful, life is beautiful. Like, it's like it, it, yeah, life is beautiful is still yeah pretty, pretty pretty grim in its treatment of yeah. yeah. So it's no, I think it's a good point, and maybe so maybe in this universe they don't have horror films as we conceive. Maybe they have horror documentaries. Yeah, maybe they maybe they have like you know documentary films and television shows about them as more like documentary of a tragedy it's like ken burns's godzilla you know that sort of thing where it's really oh, just a documentation just, i want to watch ken burns's godzilla so bad right I, now. I was just thinking i was just i was just thinking about i saw pacific rim recently i was just thinking my god like a ken burns documentary about like the horrible things that happened when the kaiju came that would be that would be really that, good oh man have you seen um have you seen this is a complete digression have you seen csa <laughs> csa yeah. confederate states of america no it's a completely straight Ken Burns. I, I I'd say parody, but it's not. It's 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 a pastiche, I guess. It's just like a Ken Burns documentary of an alternate, you know, Earth where the South wins the Civil War and like annexes the 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 North into the Confederate States and then starts spreading out. And it's done just straight like a uh, like a Ken Burns movie, uh, Ken Burns uh, documentary. Just you know, a little you know, the director's <laughs> not Ken Burns, so it's a little yeah, but still, awesome. but yeah, it's up on YouTube, I think. Like interesting, you watch it for free on YouTube. I will, I will have to check that out. That's no, that sounds like that, that sounds that sounds like worth. I, I don't know if I'd enjoy it specifically, but I would enjoy seeing what they did with it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, you actually mentioned the idea of like you know whether there's like media or not. I I, I like the idea of the horror documentary because I think in this universe there must be because and this could just be the result of one line throwing away a wonderful premise that otherwise could have been embraced by the film. But when Marty discovers the camera in the lamp in his room in the cabin, he starts freaking out. Like he figures out the room is basically bugged that there's like hidden cameras or yeah. whatnot, and he says, "Oh my god." I'm on a reality TV show. And that says, okay, they've got yeah. something resembling contemporary, you know, real world stuff. Like if you've got reality TV, you've got a whole media landscape for that to be a specific name yeah. subgenre they're in. Uh, but I almost, I almost want to, I almost want to pretend that line doesn't exist. Cause I feel like that yeah. may be the only thing that definitively suggests a normal contemporary media landscape. And, yeah, and I think um yeah the, the the movie is really good about not dating itself. Like nothing anybody is wearing can really be, you know, like really linked to a particular decade. Nothing anybody's saying is so like you this movie could take place, you know, in 2003 could play take place in 2013. They mention like cell phones and GPS. And you know, all of the facility tech is, you know, like science fiction technology that running on um, you know, like 1950s hardware. Yeah, so it's a little bit it's I, a little I, bit the mission control aesthetic. Yeah, I I think the uh like specifically the um the I'm on a reality TV show line that, you know, that just sort of thrusts it right into like a very particular time which is, you know, the last you know, 10 years or so. Um, you know, even actually it's it's by the time the movie came out it's actually kind of dated because you know, reality TV is not as novel of uh, a thing anymore. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of aging out a bit. Well, okay, so that's that's I guess that's that's the that's the letter I want to write to Joss Whedon is about the 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 notional existence of various forms of contemporary television media in this universe such that these kids would not recognize that they were in a horror film when they are otherwise intelligent kids who seem to be like likely to be media savvy. And I, I like I were there TV screens anywhere in the outside? We didn't see much of the outside world. No. We saw yeah. uh, we got a little bit of their 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 like college you know yeah we just see like a dorm room or whatever yeah email is mentioned and uh, like just again like technology is mentioned but only in like a really really vague sense because email you know late late 20th Um, early 21st century sure but beyond that so i kind of want to go back and see if there's like a tv in any of their apartments uh but yeah i don't know so that's that was that was i don't know i'm excited about the the idea of of figuring out what the the situation is in the universe there, but uh, it may yeah, be that to some extent it's like uh, give it a break, kid. It doesn't matter yeah. that much for the film to work. The film works either way. But yeah, but that's not um, me. I don't give things a break. I'm a stubborn asshole. I uh, yeah. I want to know. Tell me the details. <sighs> yeah, we're coming up on whew, two hours now. I'm just trying to see if there's uh, let's see if there's anything particularly of note. Is that uh, that I saw that we haven't that we haven't covered yet? Um, every archetype is mentioned by name except the scholar, and I think you know every yeah because I, I wrote down the moment where everybody's archetype name you know fool whore virgin athlete uh, scholar is mentioned and they they actually never mention the scholar which sort of goes even further to the whole like yeah. you know hold this underused thing. Yep. Um, yeah, no, I sort of noticed that because I was realizing I didn't know exactly what, and I think the word scholar occurred to me, but I don't know that they ever specifically. They, they say it all the way at the end when you know oh, okay. uh, when when the director is explaining how everything works. Yeah, uh, they they say it then, um, but that that that's it. But yeah, you know, like uh, Marty's referred to as a fool, like in an offhand way that, like, the first time you're watching this, you wouldn't realize it that they're actually they're not offhandedly like using a very you know outdated insult. They're they're referring to him by like exactly who he is. Yeah. And when uh, the harbinger like uh, calls Jules a whore, you know, he's not calling her a whore. He's calling her the, the whore. whore. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was. Uh, Ooh, I remembered another gripe, actually. I have another little gripe. Uh-huh. Just like, how do things work mechanically in this whole situation? Collecting the blood. Because all of them, yeah. they kill one of, the, they kill one of the, 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 the sacrifices, and then the blood goes into an ice sink that then bleeds the into the... The machine shatters something. Did you did you notice that the very first time that they that they, they pull the lever and they get the machine out, like there's a hammer attached to it and it shatters something and then think, the blood starts think, going. And I don't I, even know what that is. Maybe it shatters a vial. Yeah, I I, I, yeah. I didn't I didn't notice one way or the other. Um, I mean, there's like a, there's a point in pulling the lever and then yeah. yeah. When but they say like upstairs and downstairs in the facility, you know, it's in the most literal sense. The facility is directly under. You know the 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 general cabin ground, the and the elder gods are directly under that because they come out yeah. of the cabin. Um, yeah, that was the. Uh, but 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 the so my thing is the blood. Yeah, this I is think the blood just, of the, it's they, like it's got to be the blood of the sacrifice because there's like that that's where things go haywire. Is yeah. when the blood of the fool turns out not to actually have done its work. I guess. But you know what? I does it necessarily have to be the blood because the thing is the the ritual they for the ritual to work they just have to get killed in a particular way 
Um, and at one point they mentioned, like, you know, remember how easy this was when we could just throw them into a volcano? And if you threw them in a volcano, that wouldn't, you know, nothing comes yeah. of that, but it still works. So yeah. how does it work without the so blood? So maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe, maybe the yeah. blood they're actually using is just some, some stock blood that they've got, and it's, it's yeah. the moment of death. Oh, I'll, I'll buy that. Because my complaint otherwise is, like, how do they not figure out that that blood that they're collecting, however they're collecting it, isn't from the fool because he's not the one who's getting blood everywhere. How do they even find the blood for uh, – the uh, for for Kurt after he splatters on the force field and falls into the impossible abyss. Right. But I guess I guess if it would in theory have worked for Dana to shoot Marty and throw him off the the edge into the Elder Gods to actually finish the ritual, then yeah, it must it must be an indirect sort of thing. So I I retract my complaint. You've, you know what would be? I, I just realized would be sort of like an amazing like alternate sort of way to have this movie have taken place. If Dana had found out all the way at the beginning how the sacrifice has to work, and the movie was just her methodically killing everybody, <laughs> like I mean, there's 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 so many points of this movie where it could like very logically become a different movie, like when they're all like you know picking the 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 form of uh, the thing that that'll kill them. But you know that might not be the only point where where things can get very different. You know, what if you know if she found out that out earlier and then just you know starts slaughtering everybody? Exactly. Yeah. And then that would work out very well like a like a post scream teen slasher movie because you know in those it's you know somebody that's like it's a, a member of like you know the gang that is that's killing everybody. Yeah. No, that could work. It's sort of a, a, a bit of an Agatha Christie uh yeah. vamp there, little 10 little Indians. Uh I accept. You may you may submit a a rewrite to Joss Whedon to make a look like sequel. There's um, um Oh, so a couple of funny things from the uh, director commentary. Um, the uh, so apparently the the so all of the four scenes were done on a set, so they had to get all of that stuff you know logged in all the forest stuff. So apparently the person who logs the forest stuff into the scene uh, or onto the set is called the greensman, and the greensman was called and it was uh, was named Glenn Forrester. <laughs> nice. So yeah, there was. Um, there's that, and then um, at one point, uh, the director mentions that uh, when they're w- that all of the shots of the facility, it's it, it's it's basically the teachers' lounge. That you know, this is where you see them in the teachers' lounge complaining about their students. Oh, sure, yeah. That, and I and I thought that was a you know I didn't actually think of it that way until they brought it up. I was like, oh, that actually makes that makes perfect sense. Yep, no, that works pretty well. Have you ever seen the faculty? No, I keep meaning really? to. Really, we, we yeah. Let's put it on the list. I would. There's I would love a, to discuss Robert, that. Is that Robert Rodriguez? Was it? I don't know. I think it's. I think it's Robert Rodriguez, and I know David DeCoteau is somehow involved in it. Really, um, that that type. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, How was DeCoteau? I guess David. David Decoteau was involved in something. Then why? Why I don't. I don't know why I thought it was the fact. You just think he's involved in everything. You're just he is. He is. He is Tommy Westfall. It's David Decoteau, and we are just (laughs) living in his soft core gay porn reality. Everything we see is actually just something that he sees in a thong. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of Davids involved in the faculty, but none of them with David Decoteau. So. I'm yep. afraid that is just a fever dream on your part. Yes. No, we are totally going to watch The Faculty at some point. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not great, but, uh, but I've seen it a couple times, and I'll watch it again. Yeah. I, I, I and John Stewart's in it, you know. So, oh. Yeah, he has a bit part as uh, a guy that John Stewart is trying to 
play. So, you know, it's it's good. Uh, yeah, no, we'll we'll have to watch that. Uh, speaking of uh, speaking of John Stewart, I just remembered a funny thing that happened like a, a while ago. A friend of mine just posted something to Facebook about um, about John Stewart. And uh, and then she IM me, and she's just like, "Hey, guess which episode of the Nanny I just watched?" I'm like, "Is it the one where Fran meets John Stewart at a wedding, and they make out, and it turns out that they're cousins?" She's like, "That was an oddly specific and correct guess." I'm just like, "Oh, I just thought you mentioned John Stewart on your Facebook. I figured that that was it." Um, good episode. Good episode. Yeah, yeah. Good show. <laughs> Watch the Nanny on. I'm gonna assume Nick at night. That it. That that it's probably on Nick at night. <sighs> All right, I am. I, I think I'm. Uh, I, I'm. I'm out of notes. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm clean and yeah. clean and clear as well. And we don't have um, we don't have anything on the slate for next fortnight. Not so, yet. We'll uh, have to figure out what it's going to be. Yeah, we'll and to... we will take suggestions. A lot of you, uh, four of you, have been offering um, suggestions. Uh, so we'd like some more. So if you just go into the, uh, we have such films to show you, uh, Facebook group and just, you know, drop us a line in there, you know, have a flame war if you want. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, any, any, any suggestions is, uh, are welcome and we'll be red. Uh, and, uh, yeah, feel free to, to natter on at us, uh, on Twitter. I'm at no, Josh Millard. Griff is at, at Griff. No, at, at Griff. Griff. At Griff. Right, right. Uh, and uh, yeah, go to iTunes. You can uh, rate and review the podcast. Uh, so uh, you know, maybe do that because that's fun too. And uh, and things. It's really fun to click five stars. It's, it's I, super fucking exciting. I the eight times I did it, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing you have all those iTunes accounts. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. I feel like uh, you know this was a good movie. We're done in less than two hours. There may be a correlation here. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think getting better at, at at doing this and not. Just go through the movie chronologically. <laughs> yeah, I think only, we were relying on that a little heavily at the beginning. Yeah. Hey, everybody, did you ever wonder how sausage was made? <laughs> First, you need a pig. <laughs> You're going to need its intestines. Um, yeah, yeah. No, well, 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 you know, yeah I, I'm not even saying words now. <laughs> I like this. Like I like this. Series of noise. <laughs> I like this doing this in the evening. I've had a beer. I, uh, I'm, 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 I'm excitable and yet distractible. It's, uh, it's good. Yeah. All right, well, All in right. a couple of weeks, we'll be back with who knows what. Go tell us what maybe you think it'll be. And, yeah. uh, and we'll, we'll see you at the movies. And I think um, just as far as that goes, last note, I think it might be a little bit before we start doing a, uh, like a full series again. So in your suggestions, you know, suggest anything you want, but um, just the one-offs will probably be considered, you know, at, at the very least for the next episode, the one-offs will yeah, be Yeah, at, at least one more one-off before we're emotionally uh, rehabilitated enough to commit to a series. Uh, so who knows? We'll see what it is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. I, so, I have an appreciation for the MST3K guys, honestly, yeah. after doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It's, a, it, it, it's an effort. It's work. All right. Well, All right. that's... Good, good night, everybody. All right. L- Thanks for listening. 10 o'clock at night. See you in, in 14 days, give or take. Yeah. Well, not see you. Well, we won't hear you. You'll hear us. You'll hear us. That's our new motto. You'll hear us. This just got awkward. <laughs>